Good afternoon. I'm Joe Dworsky, and welcome to Freedom to Buy, presented each week by Supernet, uh, which is the only payment network that currently enables credit card payments for the cannabis industry. Each week on our podcast, we are going to take you behind the scenes of banking, finance, payments, and technology to help educate our listeners on how to make the most of your purchasing power in the world of credit. Uh, Today, my next guest uh, has over 30 years of experience in business strategy and leadership, uh, both in uh, the private sector as well with public companies. His current firm, Funcana, is the leader in bringing much-needed liquidity and financing solutions to the legal cannabis industry. And I'm happy to welcome uh, the CEO of Funcana, Adam Stettner. Thank you, Adam, for joining us today. Thank you, Joe, for having me. Terrific, terrific. Well, uh, t- to to start off, as we were talking before uh, we went live, we were talking about our backgrounds. I understand you're you're from New York originally. Can you just give our audience a little background on how you got into the business that you're into today? A little bit about your background, if you will. Sure, sure. Well, the the very quick version, as you say, originally <laughs> from New York, I moved back in 2004 to the West Coast. I was in finance in New York. When I relocated to San Diego, uh, I remained in finance. I've been in finance um, ever since. And the move was just a uh, a, a choice, a choice of lifestyle to, to come out to the West Coast um, and have a better quality of life, but still uh, bring that, that New York edge, drive, desire to everything I do. So I've, I've been in lending uh, since 04, so roughly 20 years, and um, have done both consumer and commercial, arrived at cannabis uh, just somewhat ironically because of the pandemic. So um, as everyone knows, pandemic essentially closed everything except cannabis, which was deemed essential. And as I sat at home running my prior company uh, remotely and managing all my employees and all my clients remotely, I saw that cannabis was uh, not only deemed essential, but operating in person. And, And that set me on the path to learn more about the industry. And the more I learned, the more intrigued I was, and the more I realized there was a need for flexible, renewable financing. All industries rely on access to capital. And um, my view at the time and uh, and still is that cannabis was uh, hamstrung by a lack of access to capital. So I decided in 2020 that I was interested and that I need, I had a lot to learn, uh, Joe, it's a complicated industry. Um, mm-hmm. And by 2021, I felt that I knew enough that I could be an effective partner. And so I launched Fun Cana in 2021. Wow, that's great. Yes, it is a complicated industry, uh, to say the least. Uh, you know, we're in the space with credit cards and we deal with many banks and there's many obstacles to overcome. So I, I can relate to what you're saying. When you launched Fun Cana, uh, h- how did you start out? I mean, if it's understanding that it's difficult. From my knowledge base with the banking sector, it's getting better, but it, back then it was probably more difficult. 
So, you know, how did you raise your initial capital to start providing funding into the cannabis sector? Um, if you can give some color on that. Sure. Well, first, let me say that that I am a believer in both equity and debt. Uh, they both have their place. And it's very important to use equity strategically and to make sure that the debt that's being used has a specific use case. And so the same was true. That That's what I advise all of our clients, uh, regardless of industry, but in particular for cannabis. Uh, the same was true for me. So to answer your question directly, I, I have the benefit of having a pretty long track record of demonstrating that I know how to manage capital and run a business. So, you know, of course, we can always do better and there's always a lot to learn, but I leveraged that track record uh, and went to friends and friends of friends uh, to raise both equity and debt. Um, I raised $30 million from friends. And I did that in the form of five million of equity and twenty-five million of debt, all with the idea that I could leverage what I knew from my thirty years of managing and leading business, twenty years of on balance sheet portfolio lending, then study like a lunatic to understand this industry and show with that thirty million that um, I could build not only a partner to the industry in the form of liquidity, but also demonstrate to future institutional investors in Funcana uh, that we had a model that was, uh, I could demonstrate was successful. Okay, great. So I take it based on the fact that you raised the 30 million uh, from friends and family, if you will, the banking sector was really not um, receptive at that point in time to providing you the, the funding to get this launched? Well, there, there are two ways that, that I have to, it's a great question, but there are two ways I have to answer it. The first is regardless of the industry, when you start a new business, banks do not want to lend to you, but you have no track record. And when I say start a business, I don't mean zero pre-revenue. I mean, you can be a year old and to them, that's not enough, right? Banks do not want to lend into anything that they don't believe is rock solid and stable. And so um, it's not an option for any business out of the gate, unless you're getting an SBA loan or something like that, which again is not relevant for cannabis. Then the nature of the industry just compounds that issue. I always, and I'll tell you, Joe, I always prefer to start with private money. And I'll explain why, because I, I think relevant for the audience. Private money comes with much less in the way of restrictions or what banks call covenants. And when you bring money in from a bank or any institutional investor, they usually they supply you with restrictions, concentration limits, or, or these covenants that require you to report out to them monthly and demonstrate that you're not breaching or breaking any of these rules. And those rules are rules that are self-imposed or imposed by them. It might be something as simple, for example, in a business like mine, we're lending nationwide cannabis, legal cannabis business. So let's just say that's roughly 39 states. A bank may say to me, we don't want concentration limits to exceed 12%. And that's arbitrary, but it may be that the bank won't allow me to give any one state or any one segment of the supply chain, uh, allow that to make up more than 12% of a portfolio. When you're starting out, you can't operate 
because you need to learn. You need to see where demand is. You need to design and redesign, constantly iterate your product. And if you have those covenants, it really puts restriction that doesn't enable you, A, to learn fully, but B, it doesn't enable you to serve your client base. My preference in every business I've started, going back to consumer lending, commercial lending, outside of cannabis, is to always start with private capital. And then Mm -hmm. once you've proven uh, your model and you can demonstrate that you know what you're doing, then you have much more say in what your restrictions or your covenants are going to be. If you take the bank money too early or institutional capital too early, their restrictions may end up being way too restrictive. That makes sense. Okay. Thank you for that. Uh, that being said, I take it now that you're, you're you know, launched and successful for a number of years, uh, you're working for, with a number of banks uh, as well. Are you still taking private capital and are you blending the, uh, the mix of funding? So at the moment, I'm still using only private capital. Oh, really? Uh, We have interest from a few investment banks, a few funds, uh, but I have access to more capital at the moment through the friend network than I require at the moment. I don't want to bring in institutional capital until I know that uh, I need it. Uh, And then that kind of scale will really propel not only the business, but, but my business, but the clients that I'm servicing. And, um, and so we're, I would say we're having a lot of conversations with financial institutions, but I'm not ready to pull the trigger just yet. Okay. Okay. So you're in the driver's seat, which is a good place to be in based on uh, the amount of uh, funding that you're getting from the private sector. And since you've launched, um, can you talk a little bit about all the different verticals within the cannabis industry that you're lending to? I mean, I, I would say we we lend to the entire supply chain. Uh, so from cultivator through uh, dispensary or retail, everything in between, manufacturing, processing, distribution, you name it, brands, and then and vertically integrated uh, companies as well. We do distribution at, with and without transport, and then ancillary providers. So uh, nutrients, lighting, grow tables, uh, packaging vendors. If it is either plant touching or secondary uh, or tier two, even tier three, um, we will fund it. And um, and so we're we're in. uh, I mean, I'm not going to list them off, but but I don't think there's a segment of this industry that we haven't funded yet. I would say there are a few states we haven't funded yet, but I think that's timing and exposure and market share. It's not because I don't want to be in those states. So of the 39 states, we funded 27 so far, um, and we funded every segment of the supply chain. And I would say, if not all, nearly all uh, ancillary provider segments as well. Okay, that's great. So it sounds like you guys are just on a very high uh, growth trajectory, uh, given the growth that's taking place and the expansion of uh, you know cannabis uh, legalization in different states. Are you geographically diversified throughout the country? Uh, how is your your operation set up with uh, your you know uh, lenders, if you will, or your internal salespeople or account managers? So everybody at the company is California based. We do have we we're and we're all in and off coastal North County, coastal San Diego, a town coastal. Mm-hmm. And we have two two remote 
employees. Uh, and that's just a function of their expertise and where they were located. But all of our salespeople are in office. Uh, all of our credit is in office. Marketing is in-house. Finance is in-house. And I don't really see a need to have an office elsewhere at the moment. I've done that before. Um, I don't think we need it right now. Um, and my preference, I am very much a work together, be together kind mm -hmm. of. There's a lot that occurs when when a group of people that are passionate about what they do work together in an office. There's a lot not only that we learn from one another, and and there's but there's a synergy that takes place from having dialogue and just on a whim walking over to somebody's desk and having a conversation that even with messaging apps and and uh, uh, video conferencing, it's just not quite the same level of interaction. So we're all here together in, uh, in San Diego. No, that's great. I couldn't agree more. I mean, um, I think we're about the same age. So, you know, back in the day, starting uh, my career on wall street, everybody was in an office and you were able to feed off of each other and learn from each other. So I, I relate, but it's a different environment, uh, unfortunately today. So hopefully they'll get back to, you know, working under one umbrella. Yeah, well, and, and look, thus far we're we're finding it, it's it's it hasn't been much of a struggle. The people that we've brought on, they're not only great at what they do. Uh, I love my team here. I'm, I really love them. Uh, but I love being with them, and I think that that is uh, a a mutual feeling. Team is, uh, and we have a lot of fun together. I mean, we work really hard. Important that we deliver a great experience for our clients, but but we enjoy being here. Well, yeah. I mean, in essence, that's your family away from home, if you will. You spend so much time. Sometimes you spend more time with your work family, uh, depending on uh, your hours. Can you share a little bit about, uh, you mentioned how with the $30 million, you had $5 million in equity, $25 million in debt. In today's uh, environment, can you give a little bit of color for the audience on what that mix looks like in terms of your uh, debt to equity uh, lending into the cannabis industry and and how much are you, you know, how many, uh, how much lending have you been doing on an annualized basis or how much, uh, where do they start average so size um, loan, if you will? Sure. So, so we'll fund, the only thing we don't fund, Joe, is pre-revenue. Uh, mm -hmm. And, and I want to, it, it's important to me um, and, and hopefully the, the audience has interest in this too, as to why that is. Uh, from my perspective, it, it, I always want to be a valuable partner. And when I say I, I'm speaking about not only myself, of course, but the company. I, I want Fund Canna to be viewed as a valuable partner to the industry. If we over leverage our clients or put them in a position where the money we provide becomes a burden, then I'm not a great partner. And it's very hard if we take somebody and look at their business plan and not their actual business cash flow uh, and use of capital. But if we look just at a plan, it's very hard to know what will come to fruition um, and what the timing of that looks like. And so if we put money out and then we're looking to have a repayment period uh, and we did all of that and we underwrote without seeing the inflow and outflow of capital, it's hard for me to know whether or not I'm going to be uh, of great assistance or end up just being a great burden. Mm -hmm. and, and if we look at businesses that are <coughs> operating, it's very easy to determine 
that we will not be a burden um, because we won't put out more money than we believe the business can service. Uh, it doesn't benefit anyone um, if we were to do that. So, so that's that's the first thing. And then um, other, I, I will tell you just as a, a gauge, we've we've had roughly a thousand applicants uh, come through. Our approval rate is north of seventy percent, and then our acceptance of those approvals is also north of 70%. So you can glean from that, we're just north of 50% uh, of our applicants end up funding with us. And then I, you know, some interesting stats, our average client has been in business over four years, which considering the legal landscape, I, I'm surprised by that. I find it impressive. Now, again, that's our average applicant. It's not who we fund. Uh, we'll fund people time in businesses with with as little as a few months. But average time in business from from our applicants is over four years. Average gross annual sales is uh, just about four million dollars. Uh, we've had people with as much as 70, 80 million in revenue and people with as little as 200,000 in annualized revenue uh, mm-hmm. and in between. The smallest uh, deal will rate is five thousand dollars. Um, and we've issued approvals north of six million, and so it gives you a sense of kind of where we are and and the scope of what we uh, seek to service. That's great. That's uh, very very informative. Let me ask you this: leading uh, from that question, so why is a cannabis related business, whatever vertical it may be, why are they coming to fund Canna versus going to a cannabis-friendly bank? Because there are over 300 cannabis-friendly banks now throughout the country, and they're growing rapidly. Um, Given that these are not startups, not pre-revenue, given the profile that you just described, why are they coming to fund Canna versus going to traditional banks? Is it the time to get the funding? Could you give some color on that? Sure. Uh, so, so there are a few things. First, although you're you're right, there are hundreds of banks servicing the space. Very few of them actually lend into the space. They're all willing to take deposits. Now, banks have always been amazing partners to every industry, and they've always been amazing partners for me. I don't view banks as competitors. I view them as excellent partners. Mm-hmm. Banks are great at what they do, but but banks, because of how they operate and the regs, the, the regulations and the rules around what they do and how they do it, they're very stringent. So they have an underwriting box and either you fit it or you don't fit it. There isn't really a lot of room for story or gray area. And the banks that do lend into the space, and again, it's much less than the hundreds you reference, um, but those that do, they lend on real estate. They're mm-hmm. not lending for operating purposes. And every industry, not just cannabis, every industry borrows to operate. They don't just borrow to buy real estate. And, and so that there's a tremendous void in this industry for operating capital. And, and you think, so when you ask Joe, why do people come to us? Let's use just a, an example of a manufacturer. That manufacturer needs to buy biomass, flour, in order to produce, let's say, crude oil or even finished product, distilled oil. And, and But they need to buy uh, the flour in order to manufacture. They have to pay COD, cash on delivery, for that flour. And their purchase might be $200,000, $150,000, $400,000. Whatever the number is, 
it's a lot of money to lay out. Their manufacturing process may take six to 12 weeks. So now they have three months of manufacturing. Then they've got a lab test and they've got a package and they've got to distribute. And then they have to wait to get paid. So their cycle might be five months. So they've laid out, a, let's just arbitrarily choose, a quarter of a million dollars today. And for five months, there's no revenue. And, and so that becomes onerous for a lot of reasons. First, you've got to have the cash on hand. Second, it's very hard to take additional orders and grow your business if your current steady state is 250 of materials, you sell those materials finished five months later, let's just say at a markup of X. Well, how do, if you want to take more orders, now you might have to buy 400,000 worth of raw material. You still have to wait the same five months. And if you don't have the steady state flow, uh, the inflow and outflow of money, it, it, you're like a hamster on a wheel. It's impossible to grow. And so my initial theory when I entered the space was I want to bridge that gap. I will lay out the money on behalf of our clients. So, uh, and then they can make micro payments to me over a period of time that well exceeds their revenue cycle so that their payments are very small. And then they have a choice. When the revenue comes in, they can pay me off early and Unlike traditional lending, we it's only for time use. So um, mm-hmm. there are no penalties to pay down early. It's the opposite. Basically, the operator is in control of not only timeline, but cost of capital. And so what we found is not only was the original idea the primary use, but it's grown exponentially in that our clients are all growing. And so uh, we have clients that have come back to us. We're only operating as a funder, putting money on the street uh, about 16 months. Mm-hmm. And in those 16, we have individual clients that have come to us 28 times and have grown by over 300% on top line revenue and sales because we infused them with capital that enabled them to buy more material that enabled them to sell more. And then we bridge the gap. So now, in essence, they don't need the revenue to buy the materials because we buy the materials and then we give them micropayments. So instead of laying out 250000 they may make weekly payments of a few thousand dollars to us. They get mm-hmm. all the material, a quarter of a million worth of material. They service the debt at just a few thousand a week. And then when they get paid, they pay us off and they make the margin. So they're using somebody else's money to operate their business. And then they just make the vast majority of the margin on our capital. Do the majority uh, prepay uh, the loans or, or do they let them, you know, mature, if you will, over time? So so currently, again, it's we're very young um, in the cycle. So what I can tell you is we're roughly 20%. 20% of our clients pay early. And when they pay early, they're using only about a third of the permissible term. So let's just say arbitrarily again, let's say we write it on a one-year term. They may pay us off in three to four months. 20% okay. of the book pays off uh, within three to four months, and the rest will hold or roll into another financing because they may have another another purchase that they want to make, and we allow multiple draws. So there's not, unlike a bank, it's not like we require a client to pay us in full before they're allowed to to pull again. Um, It's almost like a revolver in the sense they can draw down and pay whenever they want. 
but they can also draw down, make the regular payments, and then draw again. And again, that's nice. Yeah. Uh, well, so that, gives, really, that gives you guys a nice uh, annuity, annuitizes your cash flows uh, nicely. It, well, it does. But again, it'll only do that if what we're doing works for the client. Um, I right, always of course. Say, you know, that that it's it's I don't want to say easy, but I'll I'll use the term easy. It's easy to convince somebody to try something once. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember I once tried a ghost pepper, um, <laughs> but but I'll never try it again. And and um, and I think that that that's true of financing as well. If you try the financing and it doesn't work for you, you're not going to come back again. And so for me, the 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 validation that our product works for our client base is that they come back again. And in just the first 16 months, nearly 70% of our book has already repeated financing with us. Wow, that's great. Well, they're coming back for a reason, obviously. It's a combination of you know working with FunCan and your team and obviously the way the whole revolving lines work. Um, that being said, how are these... Two, two questions, two-part question. How are these loans priced and how are you collateralizing these loans? Is it real estate, equipment, receivables or so forth? So, so here, here's the interesting thing is we we do file a UCC, which is just kind of a, a general lien. The reason we do that uh, and important that people understand is more to make sure that we don't end up uh, being over levered. Um, and by that, what I mean is um, we want to make sure that other sources of capital know that we exist uh, because it's too easy for someone else to underwrite uh, a client and not know that there's an outstanding obligation. So we do that, but that's pretty innocuous, at least from the client side. And and then the... Um, the other piece of that is uh, we'll sometimes look for a personal guarantee. That's, again, making sure that, um, that we've got the commitment of the client that they intend to pay us back. Um, what, okay. I, what I don't do, file lien on specific collateral. So I don't take real estate as collateral. I don't take equipment or hard assets as collateral. And- I'm not licensed in cannabis. So I'm not looking to take cannabis or inventory as collateral either. And so in that in that regard, we're relatively unsecured and and th- yeah, it's I think something that's surprising to many, but what I'll say is outside of cannabis, I ran an unsecured funding company for 14 years where I put out 3 billion dollars to over 100,000 clients. And I had very low default rates because A, we right-size the, the funding. So just as I said, it's not burdensome. And B, people know that the money is always available. So as long as they have the ability to pay back, nobody wants to bite the hand that feeds them. And so, like I said earlier, I want to be a great partner. If you treat your clients very well and with respect and you're always available to them, you understand that they have some goals. Uh, that they're trying to achieve. And my goal or objective is to help them achieve those things. It's amazing. Human nature is to be a good person. What we find is people that default are people that are in real trouble. Mm -hmm. Uh, They don't don't avoid paying us back because they don't feel like it. 
they usually will not pay us back because they can't. And you know, that look, that's a shame, but it's the reality, not in cannabis, but in any business. There's right. going to be a very small subset of every population that defaults. And that's true of mortgage, auto, credit card, and every lending category. Right. Well, I guess you got to hope that you have a, uh, a very thorough due diligence process, which I imagine you do have your uh, a thorough due diligence process before you underwrite any loan. Can you talk well, a little well, bit of, a little bit about that? Of course. Yeah, it's my pleasure to do that. I, I think you know one of the benefits that we have maybe over others that that seek to enter the space is we've underwritten over a million small businesses. Uh, and that's really because of my prior company, the company that I started and ran before Funcana. And with that, you learn a lot. You can imagine a million businesses. Those files, I don't want to make it seem like a desensitized number. Every single one of those million files has people and and operators behind them um, and the livelihood of families. And so when you look at their inflow and outflow of money, their time in business, their geography, you take a look at credit files, there are patterns that emerge. And there's a lot of that, not all of it, but there's a lot of that that can be carried over and replicated that simply expedites the process for what we do here. Now, again, there are unique criteria here, like compliance, licensing, banking, et cetera, right? Armored car pickup, cash movement. But, but again, that's really some of what I studied for that year prior to entering the space was to make sure that I knew what I was getting into. Now, I'll tell you, I'm forever the student and never the teacher in the sense that I always have a lot to learn. But we, I, I do think that, that our experience outside of cannabis, much of it is translatable to this industry. And then the segment that isn't, we're studying like lunatics, right? Just looking to learn all we can. And some of that you learn from the mistakes you make. But so we do, we've got a team of four people, all they do all day, every day is uh, review clients and work with those clients to figure out how to get to yes. Okay. And, well, um, and so that well, kind of, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that, that, you know, my expectation um, and we can't always make this promise to the clients, but internally the team knows two days or less. If someone is in need of capital, I, I want my team to feel like within 48 hours, we need to have a sense of how we feel about that client. So it's important that, of course, we have all the documentation that our team needs to effectively do that job in a timely manner. But two days or less is what I like. Now, if the file is a large file, and I'll say large file, let's say greater than a half a million dollars, it may take an extra day uh, or an extra two days. But we are uh, oftentimes issuing approvals, sometimes even issuing money um, within 24 hours. And so it's important that we move quickly. And then on the documentation side, when you say thorough diligence, I think people would be surprised. It's We look for financials. Uh, P&L, balance sheet, uh, if available, tax returns, and then bank statements. And um, those are the core of what we look at. There's a lot that you can tell about a business. And then, of, of course, we want the story. So what are you doing with the capital and how do you believe our capital will help you? That's, again, as much with the intent of being a good partner to make sure that we help you facilitate your goal as it is any kind of underwriting. 
That's great. And how quickly from start to finish, if, you know, I was in contact with one of your team members to, to get a loan, what's the turnaround time from the initial point of contact to actually funding? Well, it, it really, it's driven by you, by the client. Um, our process, as I said, we shoot for two days. Um, okay. But it's two days from receiving a complete package, right? Uh, you know, signed application and and the documents that I referenced. But sometimes people and I and I recommend it. People should do their research. They should do their research on Funcana as an organization. They should do their research on me and others here uh, and our reputation and our background, and make sure that you understand not only who you're working with but what is the product that you're signing up for. Ask a lot of questions. Assuming you can do that, you know, Google's an amazing tool uh, for this, right? But assuming, and then we're available all day, every day to speak to people. And so we have a team here to answer questions, to facilitate uh, those answers and, and make sure that the process is smooth for the client. But assuming they ask the questions, they do their research and they're ready from the time they apply assuming a basic and clean cut or clear file were two days or less. But on the outskirts of things, it's shocking if a file sits for more than uh, a couple of days beyond that. Okay. That's great. And a final question, and then we'll wrap up. Uh, in this industry, you've given a nice profile on the typical client. What are the defaults rate that, default rates that you're seeing in the industry for these uh loans. So I, I'll tell you, it's surprisingly low. We we have um, we're less than on on a client basis. We're low single digits, um, and on a dollar basis, not very far from that. Um, and and there, I will also going back to what I said about people generally being good. It's even those that are in default. They don't go dark. They're not. They might be struggling a bit, and we our desire is to figure it out with them. Mm -hmm. uh, unlike others in this space and outside of this space, uh, some people believe that when there's a default, they just come at you like a superpower um, and crush you. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's uh, a terrible way to approach. The goal is. We, we're looking to be repaid, but I want to make sure that we do it in a manner um, that that doesn't destroy a business. And so people are struggling. Uh, we're here. The worst thing, Joe, that anyone can ever do is to go dark. Because mm -hmm. when they go dark, you don't know what the story is, then you have no choice but to call in you know, legal and everything else. But when people are communicating, there's always a solution. That's the key, um, communication, yeah, continue that right. dialogue. That's no, that's right. good. And, and obviously the underwriting process. So I guess uh, that's a testament to the low uh, default rate as well that you guys have at your organization. Well, this has been uh, really great, Adam. I really appreciate your time uh, this afternoon. I know you're very busy, so I you know, like, appreciate you taking the time out of the day to speak with us and join our show. Uh, for every, our, our listeners out there, thanks for listening to Freedom to Buy. Uh, once again, presented by Supernet. You can learn more about our payment network by going to our website at supernet.ai. And you can listen to uh, past episodes as well as you know, future episodes. 
on Cannabis Radio, uh, as well as Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Uh, Thanks again for your time, Adam. Thanks to our listeners, and uh, we'll talk to everybody soon.